0: you're listening to the dogs program the australian council for the defense of government schools are here every saturday at 12 noon to defend and promote public education and we've got a fairly full program for you this afternoon Um, as you all know next week ho-hum is back to school and nothing has changed very much Uh, the media have the same old stories i think they they chop them out almost every year don't they and uh, So our press release 965 is on that, and uh, we'll be talking further on uh, what we referred to in the press release. But um, we do have some good news. Uh, we're going to have our great state school at the end of all the less good news because the inflation rate's gone up again, and so will interest rates. Private school fees have gone up again and there'll be a lot of parents who'll be wondering about their mortgage or the private school fees. And the public schools have not got a penny more yet out of the Labor government. So it's a very interesting world that we're living in, in education Australia. But over to Sorrell. Press release, 965, Back to School 2023. But nothing has changed to
1: alleviate educational inequalities. Thanks, Jean. The summer holidays are over and children with their parents and teachers are preparing to go back to school. And with alarming predictability, the media are full of the same old stories. The private schools are raising their fees despite ever increasing amounts of public funding that was intended to lower such fees. The private schools are sending debt collectors after parents as families feel the crunch. The Productivity Commission has produced a scathing assessment of Australia's education strategies, saying they have done little to improve student outcomes during the past five years, but addressed everything but funding. However, Angelo Gavrilatos from the New South Wales Teachers' Federation is reminding public school supporters that public funding for both Catholic and independent schools increased by over three times that for public schools since 2009. The figures are startling. Funding adjusted for inflation increased by $830 per student in public schools compared to 2,839 per student in independent and 2,490 per student in Catholic schools. In percentage terms, the increase in funding for so-called independent schools, 45%, was nearly six times that of public schools, 7.8%, and the increase for Catholic schools, 32.2%, was over three times that for public schools. So it is no wonder that charities like the Smith family are pleading for more funds to address the needs of children whose parents do not have the means to equip them for their first day at school. Yet so strong are the lobbyists for the private sector that in spite of the fact Australia has swapped its conservative for a more progressive government, nothing has changed. Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools has an article for us and I'm going to pass you over to Dale to tell us all about what Trevor Cobalt has had to say.
2: Thanks, Sorrel. Here's the article by Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools. Labor kicks the public school funding can down the road. Prior to Christmas, the Federal Education Minister, Jason Clare, announced that the current National Schools Reform Agreement, the NSRA, will be extended for another year To 2024. It has major funding implications for public schools. It stops any funding increases for public schools which enrol the large majority of disadvantaged students, and it continues an absurd arrangement that defrauds public schools of funding. Private schools will also get a relatively small windfall funding gain. The NSRA is an agreement between the Commonwealth and the states that sets the framework for the national education policy and funding. Extending the current NSRA ensures that public schools will remain massively underfunded by about $6.8 billion for another year. Their funding will be stuck well short of their funding needs as determined by the schooling resources standard, the SRS. The extension also allows absurd provisions in the current funding agreements to continue. These provisions allow the states to claim non-school expenditures, such as capital charges, depreciation and regulatory expenditure as part of their share of funding public schools. Such expenditures are specifically excluded from how the SRS is measured. This skullduggery defrauds public schools of over- 2 billion dollars a year. On average, public schools across Australia will be funded at only 87% of their SRS in 2023 and 2024. The funding shortfall is estimated at about 6.8 billion a year. For example, New South Wales public schools will be stuck at 88% of their SRS. Victorian public schools at 86% and Queensland public schools at 85%. The funding shortfalls amount to about 1.95 billion, 1.8 billion and 1.78 billion respectively. Furthermore, the extension of the funding agreements for another year gives private schools another funding windfall because planned reductions in their overfunding by state governments will be halted for another year. In 2023, several states will fund private schools at over 20% of their SRS, which is the target share for the states under the bilateral funding agreements. For example, New South Wales will fund private schools at 22.6% of their SRS and Western Australia at 25%. The average state funding of private schools in 2023 is 21.3% total state overfunding is estimated at $246 million and will remain at this level in 2024 instead of being reduced to $230 million, a windfall gain of $16 million. Private schools are significantly overfunded by the Commonwealth Government until they reach a target share of 80% of their SRS by 2029. On average, private schools are funded by the Commonwealth at 84% of their SRS in 2023. This estimate includes funding for the Morrison government's $1.2 billion choice and affordability slush fund for private schools, which is excluded from official estimates of the SRS for private schools. Commonwealth funding is not affected by the NSRA as it is determined by Commonwealth legislation. The reduction in overfunding will continue as planned to 2029. The Minister's stated reason for extending the current NSRA is to wait for the result of a new inquiry on the agreement to report by the end of 2023. This is despite a report on the agreement by the Productivity Commission that was handed in a week after the Minister's announcement. It's the classic government delaying ploy. When you don't want to do something... Have an inquiry, even if you've already had one. Labor has kicked the public school funding can down the road since the 2019 election. Labor's 2022 election platform dropped its 2019 pledge to increase funding for public schools by $14 billion over 10 years, It was replaced by the empty promise to put public schools on the path to full funding without any timeline of when they'll get to 100% of their SRS. The policy backflip followed the 2019 election review, which concluded that the size and complexity of Labor's spending commitments, including the $14 billion for public schools, had exposed it to attacks by the Coalition. The critical influence of the 2019 election review on Labor's platform for the 2022 election was explicit in Albanese's address to the National Press Club in November 2019, where he endorsed the report and promised to rewrite and consolidate Labor policies. Public schools were a major casualty the rewritten policy platform made no mention of fully funding public schools to their national resource standard. Its only commitment was that all schools are fairly resourced to meet the needs of all students. In December 2021, the Labour Shadow Education Minister Tanya Plibersek said that the inequity at the heart of our funding system absolutely has to change and that Every student should get 100% of the fair funding level. By February 2022, she had retreated to saying that a Labor government would put public schools on a path to its full and fair level of funding. By May, in the election campaign, she had retreated to saying only that public schools would be better off under Labor. Labor ignored calls by education experts for a Labor government to ensure full funding of public schools within five years. The new Education Minister, Jason Clare, has repeated the refrain that all schools will be on a pathway to full and fair funding. This is a hollow promise and public schools and disadvantaged students deserve better from a Labor government. Even this weak pledge has now been dishonoured by extending the current funding arrangements. As a result, public schools face a funding crisis because they continue to be massively underfunded. Low SES, Indigenous and remote area students in public schools will continue to receive much less funding than they need. Full funding according to need is on the never-never. The government is clearly under pressure to reduce expenditure. There's a simple solution to better funding for public schools and other human services. Stop the stage three tax cuts for the rich. These tax cuts are indefensible. According to the Parliamentary Budget Office, the tax cuts will deliver over $150 billion to the top 20% of income earners over 10 years from 2024. This massive windfall for the richest people in Australia will exacerbate inequality and deny much-needed funding for key services such as public education, health care, aged care and the NDIS. New studies show that there are no trickle-down economic benefits from tax cuts for the rich. They only serve to boost inequality. In his address to the National Press Club in November 2019 as opposition leader, Albanese said that for Labor, a progressive tax system is the foundation stone for building aspiration and upward mobility, as well as looking after those who need assistance. This was just a few months after Labor voted for the stage three tax cuts that flattened the personal income tax schedule to provide billions in tax cuts for the rich. It's little wonder that lack of trust in politicians is a major issue in Australia today. There are shocking inequalities in school outcomes between rich and poor in Australia. The delay in formulating a new NSRA and its associated funding agreements between the Commonwealth and States just ensures that these inequalities will continue. Many disadvantaged students and schools will suffer the direct consequences, and Australia as a whole suffers from wasted talent and greater division in society. What a legacy for a Labor government. Back to you, Jean.
0: Yes, well, thank you very much, Dale. Um it's a ho-hum. Weak us, isn't it? I'm very sorry, listeners, that I can't be the bearer of good news from the Albanese government. They're just kicking things down the road uh, because the Catholic lobby and the uh, independent school lobby are just thats so powerful in Australia. In spite of the fact that nearly two-thirds of our children attend public schools, but... Um, it's always been so, and what is happening in Australia at the moment, the dogs predicted back in 1964. But we're still here, and we're still fighting because you never give up. But now we're going to have a break from the battle.
3: It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out: Where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that. You know, that's why free CR is so important. To me. Me and this community here, we've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what
4: we've
0: got, but it's all about having a voice.
1: Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
0: Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, here on 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial, and, um, yes, it is a back-to-school week, and people who are not well healed but have children, and and those children have got some problems fitting them out for school. And Dale has got an interesting article about this. Over to you, Dale.
2: Thanks. This is an article by Nicole Precelt. That's when bullying starts. Back to school costs force families to opt for cheaper uniforms and subjects. As students prepare to go back to school this month, many parents say they can't afford to buy their children uniforms or school supplies with high inflation and rising costs of living, pushing families to the brink. A survey by the Smith family of almost 2,000 families across Australia who have received help from the charity, found nine out of ten parents and carers are worried about being able to afford back-to-school supplies. More than half of the respondents thought their children were likely to miss out on the digital services needed for their schoolwork because they couldn't afford them. Nearly 22% said they wouldn't have internet access at all, 40% would miss out on school supplies such as exercise books and stationery, and 3 in 10 parents and carers would forego school uniforms or shoes. Anton Leshin, general manager of the Smith family, said it was dire times, as the rising cost of essentials, including food and petrol, forced some families to choose between vegetables and uniforms. The challenge with free education is it doesn't cover uniforms. It doesn't cover subject levies. It leads to families choosing cheap subjects, he said. If you're a great cook, you want to be a chef. If you're adventurous, you might want to be in outdoor education. But if you can't afford the knives, the tools, you don't do those subjects, he said. State Schools Relief, a Victorian charity partly funded by the state government that provides low-income families with school supplies, was inundated with a record-breaking number of applications for support in December, receiving more than 800 in two days. On the advice of a school, the charity provides items such as school shoes, uniform items, travel passes, calculators and stationery to students. The organization said there had been a 14% increase in welfare applications this financial year. When comparing December 22 with the previous December, it was at it was a 103.7% increase in welfare applications. Our financial hardship category has also increased by 82.54% for the month of December from 2423 applications in 2021 to a huge 4423 in December 2022 state schools relief ceo sukasa said after chelsea Yuliat from endeavor hills in southeast melbourne adds up the family expenses there's little left over for school supplies for her four children you don't want your child going to, to going to school having to wear clothes that aren't uniform that's where the bullying starts. Your parents can't afford this. I find it very, very, very difficult, she says. For mother of three, Lisa Hicks from Germana on the Mornington Peninsula, back to school costs have been challenging. All three of her children have autism and her youngest also has DeGeorge syndrome, which can cause learning difficulties. When I see these specialist experts, they tell me diet is important. But healthy food is expensive, she said. She said back to school costs were a big hit and buying a $60 year six graduation jumper and t-shirts for $27 was tough. When they start secondary school, you can't buy from Kmart, she said. For an 11 year old to be wearing something different from his peers, he doesn't have the emotional resilience and kids can be cruel. They know he's not wearing the same jumper as us because they don't have the money. Education so important. I don't want the kids to be in my financial situation. I want them to get a good education. Hicks has joined the Brotherhood of St Lawrence Saver Plus program, partnering with ANZ, which helps lower-earning Australians build financial skills and receive up to $500 in matching savings to help with education costs. Lisa, she, she said it's helped her budget and made her, A difference to her life, with 75% of participants using it to save for their children's education. Parents Victoria President Gail McCarty said they usually start to hear how parents are feeling about back to school costs soon after they return. She said students sometimes have to pay for locker hire and student ID cards, as well as the technology related costs, which vary from school to school. One was $258 per student. McCarty said some teachers paid for resources out of their own pockets. Parents Victoria remains frustrated around the lack of funding to public schools and the December announcement by the federal minister to delay a new funding agreement by one year is not acceptable, she said. State Education Minister Natalie Hutchins said the department was supporting families by easing cost of living pressures through the measures such as the Affordable School Uniform Program, the School Breakfast Club Program, covering course material costs for VET classes and free school camps. Every child deserves the same opportunity for a high quality education and as they prepare to head back to school, we're helping those students who need extra support, she said. And there were many comments with this. Uh, Lisa said, it would be useful if there was a comprehensive article covering all the known programs and charities to make it as efficient as possible for parents on low incomes who may also be working multiple jobs or shift work. Uh, Daryl said, I used to work in the education department in the 1980s. I administered the maintenance allowance, which was $104 paid twice a year. This was abolished around 2008. It was replaced by the camps and excursions allowance. I'm not sure if there's similar schemes now. Ian said, well done to the Smith family. It seems odd in a society as wealthy as ours that this needs to, that this need goes unmet. Dividend imputation at work, I guess. Brand Dog said, this breaks my heart. The primary school k- my kids attend is a melting pot of socio-economic demographics. 90% plus of the houses in the, prime, in the school zone would be $1 million plus, probably $2 million for any of the larger two- or three-bedroom homes. But there is also a housing commission high-rise and plenty of subsidised rental properties. We are not immune from the same from some of the fees and charges, about $500 per child. But the uniform shop is run by grade fives and sixes with polos, jumpers and dresses generally for sale between 5 and $10. We try to talk with our kids about how fortunate we are, but at the same time, it's hard to explain why we have more or less money than other people or why we spend more on things we think matter, good quality, comfortable shoes, for example, but less on things we don't like lunch orders. Professor Antihoon says, perhaps if we weren't propping up the private education businesses and subsidising religious organisations via taxation exemptions, we'd be able to collectively look after our nation's children more equitably. The last thing kids need at school are socioeconomic stigmata to add to that learning experience. Mikey from the West said, One of the positives for having a school uniform is that it prevents kids from wealthy families wearing expensive clothes to school, contrasting the wealth inequality even more. Now, I would argue that... uh uniforms aren't the great leveller that Mikey from the West seems to think they are. There is another solution. Uh, The school I went to, the public school I went to in the 80s in Queensland, we did not have a uniform. We did not have a school uniform. Uh, But there was a dress code. Now, the principals noticed that uh, it was just at the time where kids were starting to buy mambo shirts and, you know, it became apparent which kids had parents with money and which kids didn't and in order to to nip that bullying in the bud that socioeconomically based bullying in the bud the principal instituted a rule that you were not allowed to wear logos or designer labels so anything with advertising was not allowed that was part of the dress code so suddenly everyone had to have clothes from kmart or from vinnies or anything that did not have an advertising label. Now, that quickly levelled the playing field and suddenly there was no bullying about someone wearing expensive clothes and someone not because it was not an option to be wearing Country Road or to be wearing Mambo and it was not an option to see who had money and who had not. So having no school uniform but a dress code was a really great, and I think it was a really great rule that they brought in really quickly to nip that whole socioeconomic bullying factor in the bud and it worked it worked anyway back to you jean
0: well thank you dale those people up there in queensland had some very good ideas didn't they and uh to tell you the truth although uh, queensland fell behind in all sorts of ways uh, in earlier uh, times They are not doing too badly at the moment at all up there and the uh, PNCs or the uh, school council organisations up there, the parents' organisations, are very active indeed. I've been reading a very interesting book they sent me on um, their history for their 75th anniversary. So thank you very much for that and we'll have a bit of a break and come back to talk about the Productivity Commission report. (music) Subscribe. Well, you're still listening to The Dogs Programme and in the last week, the Productivity Commission has come up with a scathing report on the state of education in Australia and they've talked about absolutely everything except the key thing, which is funding, that the funding arrangements in Australia are diabolically unfair, unfair to public education. But no, the Productivity Commission hasn't tackled that. But it is interesting to find out what it has tackled,
1: and Sol's going to tell us about that. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So Gabriella Marchant and Penny Timms write this article for us entitled National Education Strategy Has Done Little to Improve Student Outcomes, report says. The Productivity Commission has issued a scathing assessment of Australia's national education strategies, saying they have done little to improve student outcomes during the past five years. The report released today Obviously, not actually today. Um, This was posted on the 20th of January. Um, The report examined the National School Reform Agreement, a strategy agreed upon in 2018 by federal, state, and territory governments to improve student outcomes. It found national reading and numeracy results had generally declined since 2018, and inequalities in educational achievement had not been addressed. In a statement, Education Minister Jason Clare described the report as damning and said it made clear that serious reform is needed. The Commission suggested the new five-year education strategy across the Commonwealth, states and territories should focus on better supporting teachers and school leaders to do their jobs and help schools to implement evidence-based teaching strategies. It also wants student well-being to be made a national priority to help address entrenched inequality and improve overall achievement. That is something recent graduate Katie Owens would support. She said she was a pretty happy kid until grade nine, and then she started struggling with school. I just didn't get up in the mornings, so that was really hard for my parents, and they were looking for other options, she said. I think it was a mix of pressure from mostly myself and then just like others around me at school. That was until she started at Launceston Big Picture School, a not-for-profit fee-free school which prioritizes student well-being through a student-led curriculum. Ms. Owens said she would not have finished year 12 without the support she received at her new school. It is the kind of approach the Productivity Commission wants to see more of. Whilst the previous National School Reform Agreement, which expired at the end of 2022, did set goals of improving equality for some of the most vulnerable students, the Commission said a lack of data regarding reporting and clear measures meant there was little accountability. That, it said, needed to change. In 2021, in the NAPLAN tests, 5% of students did not meet the minimum standards for reading, and 4% of students did not meet the minimum standard for numeracy. The Commission recommends that each state and territory should set a target to reduce the share of students who are falling behind, Commissioner Natalie Siegel-Brown said. Targets do not guarantee success, but they create a clear direction for reform and make governments accountable. She also worried that while teachers in Australia tended to work longer hours than those in many other countries, they had less time for activities that could make meaningful change. The Commissioner believed the teacher shortage was partly to blame. The President of the Australian Education Union said the report failed to address the elephant in the room. You cannot separate improving educational outcomes for students from school funding because school funding delivers the additional teachers, support staff and learning programs that these children need, she said. We are disappointed that once again, funding has been excluded from a major report. It is a sentiment Sydney Science teacher and New South Wales Teachers Federation member Alice Leong agrees with. The way that the system is structured, it is letting our students down because teachers actually can't cater for the students' needs as much as they need to because we are so overworked, she said. Adding to the workload were large class sizes which made it more difficult for teachers to dedicate time to students who might need more attention, she said. When you've got class sizes that are 30 pupils and you've got a mixture of students with very complex needs, A lot of students with additional needs and you don't always get that classroom support, it's very difficult, she said. Mr Clare said the report would play a key role in the development of a new national school reform agreement, adding that funding needed to be tied to reforms that would make a practical difference to student outcomes. While education unions have criticised the decision to extend the current funding agreement for 12 months to allow time for a new funding review, the Minister says it is crucial to find policies that work. Three of the report's recommendations include, one, develop firmer targets on achievement and publicly report on progress in implementing reforms each year, two, design the next agreement so that it includes a focus on student wellbeing, And three, develop and deploy expert teachers to disseminate evidence-based teaching practices. So once again,
0: the teachers are put in the middle um, and they are going to be held responsible. It's it's a recipe for disaster, I suggest, until they come to terms with the fact that um, funding of private schools has failed and it's failed dismally produce results. Perhaps they should just have a look at what goes on in other places like Finland or even Germany. But um, the one thing that the uh, Productivity Commission hasn't looked at, of course, is the behaviour of the private schools. Um, It's almost as if all schools are somehow equal in their eyes. Uh, the, the, um, uh, The state aid issue is always the hot potato, isn't it? But if you go to um, what's going on, what is actually going on on the ground, you'll find that the top private schools around Australia are sending debt collectors after the parents as as families are feeling the crunch of the uh, new mortgage rates, new interest rates. And they're chasing Victorian families run paid private school fees. Now, how can you find out about this? Uh, the uh, investigative reporters have gone to, of all places, the Federal Circuit and the Family Court, because that's where the parents are arguing over the school fees and the children. And you'll find there that parents were sent into bankruptcy in May 2022 over unpaid fees at De La Salle College in Melbourne. Well, of course, uh, all of this trying to keep up with the Joneses and the private school fees is pretty hard on family life. and You're going to have family breakdowns as well, apparently. And Trinity Grammar also has launched bankruptcy proceedings against parents in 2021. And Scotch College, listen to this, Scotch College recouped 7,470 from a family through bankruptcy in February 2020. And Wesley College also pursued families with fees through bankruptcy in November 2016, 2017 and 2014. Well, I think that... uh, Parents should think twice before they enter into any kind of contract with these kinds of uh, so-called Christian schools. But um, there's, this is a very interesting article, which we um, which we we uh, recommend you have a look at. But of course, those of us who are in the public school sector don't have to worry about bankruptcy, do we? Because when the crunch comes, public education should be and is, particularly for all families, free. But we'll have a bit of
4: a break now.
0: Join
2: me, Aya Kwae, with Ubuntu voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates. The positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8:30 p.m. None of us are free.
4: None of us are free. None of us are free.
0: Well, listeners, we hope you're still with us because uh, you're still listening to the Dogs Program and Jeff is going to take us over to America and the UK. Over to you, Jeff.
3: Thanks, Jean. This one's from our wonderful Diana uh, Ravitch blog uh, and it's actually, this is written by Eric S. Anderson, but it's on her blog and it appeared on the 23rd of January. Uh, and it's called Examining the Underpinnings, Underpinnings and Pitfalls of School Choice. Eric S. Anderson is Associate Professor of English at Franklin and Marshall College. In a piece for the LNP Lancaster Online, he outlines the troubled background background of school choice. He says, when it comes to education, some argue that the ability to opt out of the public system is practically a right. They seem to ask, don't like the roads you're driving on? Well, you should be able to choose a road that meets your desires. The roots of this reasoning run deep. The tree they anchor, however, is rotten. School choice, of course, had a genesis in reaction to Brown versus Board, which was an old uh, uh, case that was heard in the Supreme Court, which left a door open for segregationists by ruling that only public schools had to be integrated. Set up a private school and you could be as racially exclusive as you wished. Fast forward to the present day and the mechanisms by which by which with white and wealthy families segregate their children from people of color have grown more sophisticated and in terms of the language used to describe them more race neutral. Today in Pennsylvania, we have the educational improvement tax credit program, the opportunity scholarship tax credit program and the proposed lifeline scholarship program. We have school choice as promulgated by lobbyists and legislators who often pitch these programs as helping marginalized students and families. Contrary to what they would have you believe, extensive research shows that such programs overwhelmingly benefit white and or wealthy students, works according to design, as they say. White flight is not just from the urban to the suburban, political theorist Bonnie Honig writes, it is from the public to the private thing. Anderson also connects the school choice movement to the anti-democracy element that runs through US history. The first architect of these policies was, to wit, a Southerner economist, uh, James McGill Buchanan, 1919 to 2013, who distrusted democracy because it threatened the power of elites. And he saw no greater breeding ground for that threat than public education, especially a version of it that brought people together across social divisions like race. Better to keep people fighting amongst themselves than turning their attention to their shared economic oppression. Buchanan argued, as educator and writer John Patrick Leary puts it, that there is no public interest, there are only public choices. These choices, Leary observed, are defined by two key elements. They are always market-based, and they always conflate the ability to choose with the freedom to choose. That is, even if you don't have the means to drive on the turnpike, you can still have the freedom to do so, never mind that you can't afford it, never mind that your choices are constrained by your means. Choice in this light is a cynical ruse in Leary's phrase. It hides who suffers from policies like the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program and it shields from blame those whose public but anti-democratic choices cause harm. And make no mistake, in diverting public funds to private ends, these policies do harm far more children than they help. They create the conditions to systematically underfund the public schools that educate the vast majority of children, exacerbating the social stratification in the process. Then, adding insult to injury, some accuse those same schools of failing, but it isn't the schools that have failed them. We have failed them. It's a fabulous article, and there is more to it, and I I suggest you uh, jump on Diana Ravitch's wonderful blog and check out her blog of the day, uh the blogs of the day and Eric S Anderson yeah and uh so now we're going to zip across to the UK where the observer has an article from uh the 23rd as well oh sorry the 22nd of January 23 and it's called parents urged to help teachers win battle over Pay and jobs Uh, now just before I start this article I, I, I want to mention a friend of mine was a science teacher and he went to his principal and said look um I could continue being a science teacher and I'm running the school's computers right now. But you realise that if you had to pay me to do that, you'd have to pay me more. And the teacher said, well, his headmaster said, well, I'm not going to. And he said, well, right, well I'll resign. And sure enough, he had to hire him back to run the school's computers and uh, for more money. So and there's a bit of that going on in the UK. So they're having trouble recruiting teachers because they're getting paid more outside to do other jobs. Let's uh, so this article is from The Observer and it is by Anna Frak for Zachary And it says parents urged to help teachers win battle over paying jobs. As schools struggle to find stuff for key roles, heads tell families to demand action from their MPs and to back strikers. So there's a, a lot of strike action in the wings in England and Wales at the moment. Um, parents have been called on to help teachers in their fight for a pay rise as unions try to win public relations battle against the government over the next month's strikes. With thousands of schools across England and Wales set to close in February after teachers voted to strike, the Association of School and College Leaders, ASCL Union, has told the Observer that it is working with ParentKind, the umbrella group for parent-teacher associations in schools, and with school governors to get parents to lobby backbench Conservative MPs on the crisis in recruiting and retaining teachers. The Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, said parents would be deeply disappointed that members of the National Education Union were risking the education and well-being of children with the strikes, which could close individual school- schools for up to four days. But Jeff Barton, General Secretary-, Secretary of the ASCL, said we are determined that after underfunding education for 12 years, the government won't be allowed to get away with trying to blame the teachers. He said, while ministers are trying to enforce minimum service requirements for teachers and public school service workers through the government's anti strike bill, his union would urge parents to write to conservative MPs asking them, shouldn't there be a minimum requirement that my child is taught by a qualified teacher in that subject? He added, a lot of these MPs are in very fragile seats and know an election is coming. So parents have power to change and to demand change. Education unions unions say teacher shortages are now a critical problem for almost every school, with pay too low to attract and retain enough staff. School leaders say job adverts for teaching science, maths, computing and modern languages often receive no applications at all. Many teachers mocked Rishi Sunak's New Year plan for all pupils in England to study maths up to the age of 18 because a large number of schools are struggling to recruit maths teachers. Almost half, 45%, Of the state schools, some maths lessons are being taught by teachers qualified in a different subject, according to a recent report by the National Foundation for Educational Research. The Institute of Physics has said that about 400 schools in England do not have a teacher for A-level physics. Matt Doble, assistant principal and a computer science teacher at Preston Secondary School in Yeovil, Somerset, tweeted Keegan last week, try and appoint a science teacher and then tell me again how great the pay is. He said his school had advertised for posts in science four times without a single application or inquiry. He added, "Graduates are able to earn significantly more out in industry. I have a background in computer science and I regularly regularly see job adverts for software engineers earning double my salary in nearby Bristol or working from home." David Robertson, a maths teacher at a secondary academy in southeast England, said We have had to recruit two teachers who aren't qualified in maths into our team of eight. Students are losing the love love of the subject. Robertson said the deputy head teacher at his school now spends most evenings trying to find supply teachers. One group of children have had 60% of their lessons taught by cover staff, he added. Chris Hillage, Director of Science, Technology, Engineering, and Maths at the Challenge Academy Trust, which runs 10 primary and secondary schools in Warrington, Cheshire, said, in computer science, we are recruiting almost no specialists. They aren't there. The vast majority of schools in the Northwest have non-specialists teaching physics. He added, parents might not be aware that their child is being taught physics by a biologist or a sports scientist, but they are noticing when they have a supply teacher for a period of time because of the shortages. Paul Whiteman, a general secretary of the National Association of Head Teachers Union, said it will, encourage heads, it will encourage heads to write to parents about why teachers are striking or to discuss it at the school gates. He said, I think it is incumbent on school leaders to explain to parents the impact of more than a decade of underfunding of schools. He added that problems recruiting and keeping staff were the central issue for heads now and inadequate pay was the biggest contributing factor. John McNally chief executive of the Share Multi-Academy Trust in West Yorkshire, wrote to parents about strike dates last week. He also explained that teachers were protesting because of concerns about funding of schools, the erosion of educators pay and subsequent difficulties this causes for recruitment, especially in shortage subjects. He said, I think it is important for parents to understand that those teachers who have chosen to strike are doing so because they feel very strongly about the issues. And isn't that always the case that the, the most dedicated people Hang in there. They hang in there. They keep these schools running uh, on 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 a thread um, because the governments are so ill prepared to to back public education. Uh, and with 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 uh, in in UK where they're offering a five percent increase and they've got a ten percent inflation rate, um, it's out, outrageous. And we have the same problems exactly here. We just don't have enough money in the system to adequately fund our teachers. Anyway, back to you, Eugene.
0: Well, thank you, Jeff, and the uh, success or otherwise of the teachers in the UK will be of particular interest, of course, to the teachers in Australia as they go back to work in 2023. Uh, Because uh, they're really all very much in the same boat, aren't they? But our teachers are just so important for the future of this country. But uh, unfortunately, the politicians seem to think that they are the most important people. But now, let's get positive. Let's get to our Great State School. And the Great State School for this week is a particularly lovely one because it's up there, not far from Melbourne, but in the country. And it's a dual campus school with an annex, uh, which is seven kilometres away from the main school, where the children do some very interesting things indeed. So I'll hand you over to Dale and our great state school.
3: Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. schools School school of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program.
2: week's Great State School of the Week is Woodend Primary. Woodend Primary School is a dual campus school with an annex at Karlsruhe, seven kilometres north of Woodend. Year four students spend four days per week at the annex, engaging in a curriculum focusing on sustainability, environmental awareness and animal husbandry. With a 2020 enrolment of over 435, Woodend Primary School is well resourced and provides a broad and comprehensive curriculum delivered by dedicated and experienced staff. Student achievement outcomes are generally at or above expectation in most areas of the curriculum and the school continually aims for the highest quality of teaching and learning. Woodend Primary School is committed to ensuring all students have the opportunity to develop their academic, artistic, physical and social skills in a safe and caring environment. It aims to enhance students' well-being by promoting the importance of each individual's self-esteem, resilience and sense of community and belonging. Woodend Primary School encourages children to strive for excellence at all times and fosters a commitment to continuous learning. The Carlsruhe Annex of Woodend Primary School is a separate campus situated at the old Carlsruhe Primary School site in Nicholson Street, Carlsruhe, approximately eight kilometres from the main school. This beautifully treed half hectare property consists of the original red brick classroom, a portable classroom, mud brick poultry pen, large fenced vegetable garden, small orchard, a playing oval, and two paddocks for the farm animals. The Carlsruhe Annex has been providing a unique program since 1984 for Woodend Primary School's Grade 4 students. The program endeavours to give students a rural school experience by placing them in this small social and physical setting for one year. The program highlights farming activities that give students the opportunity to be responsible for the care of farm animals, the gardens and the maintenance of the property. In doing so, students use a variety of tools, learn new skills, build self-esteem and practice working cooperatively with their peers. The program is implemented through many hands-on activities. Students care for the annex farm animals and pets consisting of hens, ducks, lambs, rabbits and guinea pigs and they tend a large vegetable garden propagate and grow trees and manage a large compost heap. The students research mini beasts, birds, wildlife and plants existing in the Carlsruhe to find out the part they play in the cycle of life. The program also provides students with practical learning activities which emphasise ways in which they can help to protect our fragile environment from damage caused by humans. Thus, they hope that through this program, students will become more caring and responsible towards themselves, each other, animals, plants, and the environment, and that this caring and responsible attitude will prevail throughout each student's life. The Carlsruhe Annex becomes a small community where the grade four students learn to be responsible and caring towards each other. Students are given the opportunity to organize this little community themselves. They'll set up a parliament to govern the community and take turns at a variety of jobs within the community. Jobs available include running the newspaper, environmental offices, farmers, maintenance and plenty more. Students are involved in a WasteWise program to learn about ways of reducing, reusing and recycling waste products. Students understand that the environment needs to be kept rubbish free in order to protect the delicate balance of natural cycles, including plant and animal life, the soil, water resources, and the atmosphere. Students learned that the part humans play in farming and using the environment to cater for their needs can very easily destroy the balance of nature. The program emphasizes ways in which we can farm land organically and protect it from salinity and erosion problems. Students are also involved in activities to help them to understand that caring for the environment in these ways can also reduce costs. For example, less rubbish, less cost to the school of having rubbish removed. Soil enriched with nutrients from compost, worms, and mulch will enhance growth of crops. Collecting cans which can be sold will finance feed for the animals, thus helping to make the annex more self sufficient. Now, some facts and figures from ACARA. The school has at the moment 457 pupils. The ICSEA value of the school is 1,106, which is well above the average of 1,000. This is a relatively well-heeled community. 47% of students have parents from the upper 25% in income, 31% in the second highest, 16% from the third quartile, and 6% from the poorest 25% of the community. 7% of the students speak a language other than English and 1% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school full of advantaged students with dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer $10,552, well below the Gonski Resource Standard to educate a child at this school. The school receives only $851,000 from the federal government and $3.4 million from the state government. Eighty thousand two hundred from fees and eleven thousand nine hundred from private fundraising, but the capital grants in the last three years have been only two point two million. All this public and private money is money well spent. The Naplan results of these students is just fine, and their curriculum is enriched in an agricultural setting. So, congratulations to everyone at the Woodend Primary School
0: doing great things.
2: Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, wasn't that a lovely story? I think there'd be quite a few parents who'd be uh, rather thinking of uh, moving a little bit up towards Woodend uh, so that their children could have that enjoyable experience in Woodend uh, Primary School. But um, we're coming to the end of our of our program and we hope that you've found it interesting. And if you want to find out more about the dogs, then go to our website at dot adogs.info, we find that um, quite a few people have been visiting us and uh, they are coming from interstate. In fact, we've had people asking if there is a dogs up in Queensland. There used to be, but I'm not sure that there is one now. But we're still here, down here in Victoria, and we are here at the independent radio station every week at 12 noon, flying the flag for public education. But uh, our time is gone and it's time to say goodbye and I'd like to say thank you to Dale and to Sorrel for helping me with today's program and of course Jeff. But from Dale and Sorrel and Jeff and myself, it's bye for now.
4: I dream City, Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead. Says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I on to organize went on to organize from san diego up to maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find joy But, Joe, you're ten years dead.